This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. All right, welcome back to Tell Me This. We are in still in season two, headed into the winter and spring. So I'm calling it the second half of season two. We are in 2021, and I am super excited to welcome Carrie Miller. I'm going to say doctor. Um, Carrie Miller and Daniel <laughs> Danielle Scarano. They're close. They're not there yet, but they're close. Both um, doctoral students in the Hopkins program and experts in their own right. And they'll, they'll tell you a little bit about themselves in a moment. But today, um, you know, we've been talking about the pandemic in the fall. We really took a journey with teachers and some parents and nonprofit directors on their journeys through the pandemic. And as I've said in past, uh, episodes, we're really focusing towards healing now. Um, I get that we're still in the midst of the pandemic and we really need to sort of batten down the hatches right now and make sure we're still wearing our masks. And yet I can start to see a tiny, tiny light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm feeling maybe a little hopeful, trying to feel hopeful. And so today I'm very excited. We're going to still focus on healing, but we're going to talk more about leadership and what is the role of leadership in this healing process. And also given the the sort of theme of the podcast overall, what's the role of leadership and responsibility of leadership in cultivating belonging and building community within organizations? And so, Carrie Miller, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience, and then Danielle, I'll toss it to you. All right. Good afternoon. Good evening. So (laughs) excited to be here. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm Carrie Miller. I know Carrie Borkowski and Danielle is a doctoral student. Uh, Some of the other hats that I wear include working as a management consulting for a K-12 firm based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. I realize that geography means something totally different today than it did last year or or before that. Um, So I've spent five years with that firm. We work in one business unit, which is K-12, and then we have a larger management consulting firm, Cicero Group, which works across fields. Mm-hmm. And so I've been there for five years. I've actually been in education, however, for 17 years. So for 12 years before that, worked as a teacher and as a leader in schools uh, with a variety of demographics and visions and missions in both Oregon and in Colorado. Everything from a Title I school 
that was identified underperforming by the state where I taught seventh grade English to a ski academy where I was almost the, the students' peers and was an assistant wow. recreational ski coach as well as an AP English literature teacher. So vari variety of experiences to, to bring to the work, uh, working nationally in consulting today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, I mean, your latest research, I feel like is so relevant, perhaps to the conversation we're going to have today around the Native American students um, in our country. And so maybe that'll that'll come up a little bit later, Carrie. So that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Danielle, you want to introduce well, yourself? Of course. Yeah. I feel like I'm just in the meeting of a mind. And recently I was taking a fitness class. I promise I'm introducing myself in a minute. But I was taking a fitness class and the instructor said, just pretend that every day is Friday energy. And I feel like I'm in a moment of Friday energy right now to be with both of you. So I'm so happy to be here, but a little bit more about me. I'm currently the research and development director at the Windward Institute, which is tied to the Windward School, an independent school in New York City and outside the, in the greater New York area um, for students with language-based learning disabilities. I was a teacher there for seven years and I just left the classroom last year um, but I do consider myself a lifelong educator, as some of you may have heard in the previous yeah. podcast episode with me. I also have a podcast, Research Education Advocacy Podcast. One of the reasons why I created it was I saw this incredible gap in how we translate good research to practice. And I wanted to illuminate some of those areas in literacy and child development. So we actually just celebrated our one year anniversary of the podcast. Yes. I couldn't imagine, you know, being in a position where I was learning from so many experts in the field and leaders. So that's been something that has been uh, quite a learning experience for me in the past year. And then prior to my current role, I've also been a classroom teacher. I worked in eighth grade and fifth grade at Windward and taught social studies at a charter school before joining Windward in New York. And I would just say on the side, I love, we'll talk a lot about this, but I really love this aspect of self-care and healing. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Absolutely. I thought for a second, Danielle, you were going to say, I just love podcasts because I feel like we're, we're always <laughs> texting the three of us texting, either it's a book or a podcast or something that the other one needs to listen to. So, <laughs> and I appreciate, I'm glad that you brought up this, this sort of passion for translating good research to practice. Cause I feel like that's what sort of makes us in some ways, and I include Carrie, us in that is kindred spirits, because I feel like that's that's a goal, right? It's not just about the research, it's how do you apply it, right? It's not just the what, it's the so what. So um, so yeah, so I think hopefully today as we talk about leadership, we may drop a little bit of uh, research on the pod, um, but there'll always be application to it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. What I like to do, what I've started doing um, during the pandemic is I just want to check in with both of you. You know, Carrie, how are your, how's your family holding up? How are your boys doing? Are they up to any crazy stunts? And Danielle, I feel like every time I talk to you, I have to say, where in the world is Danielle? Because she's, she's either on a subway at her parents' house in an apartment. I mean, just random places. So I'd love to hear from both of you how you're holding up uh, within the pandemic. I, I think we're doing pretty well. The kids are okay, right? Yeah. Uh, we would love to have a little bit more snow. Canada has mm -hmm. all of the snow this year. Oh. And so it's a very dry season up in the mountains outside of Salt Lake City where we where we hail. Um, but yes, my kids are definitely getting themselves into productive, active trouble. So <laughs> my son, my 12-year-old has accomplished once again this season landing the 40-meter ski jump. 
Crazy. And I don't know if you saw that recent op-ed piece in the New York Times about being a parent of a ski jumper. It's actually a, another parent in our program oh um, or in, in the Western region of, of the country. And um, so it's always a bit of a hold your breath and then appreciate <laughs> that your child has found something that according to statistics is a very safe winter sport, even though it doesn't look like it every time he does it. Um, so he's, he's fully immersed in that. And then my eight-year-old son is fully immersed in freestyle, which is like the mogul and the jumps and this this kid he flies they're they're a lot of fun to watch and so we're very excited about snow arriving the great thing about the lack of snow is I've been I've been out running a lot so I'm energized and and taking time for for myself which I think is something that I, I think we'll revisit in this conversation about one of the essential needs of effective leadership right now yeah absolutely we did a podcast um like a week ago with uh, Lisa Cerise. Do you guys know Lisa? She's in the 2019 cohort. And we talked about this book, Burnout, um, written by the two sisters. And top on their list for sort of completing that stress cycle is physical activity of any sort of, you know, ilk. So I think it's great, Carrie, that you're able to get out and, and run around. I have to say, like, my our oldest son, we got him a hoverboard for, for ooh, his birthday. Ooh. And like, I get nervous. We have a pretty good incline on our driveway and I get nervous when he, he flies that thing down the, the driveway. I can't imagine watching my son skiing, <laughs> going over a jump. I would be a nervous wreck, I think. <laughs> so Danielle, how are you holding up? Are you back at your place or where are you these days? It's a good question. I know it's always where in the world is yep, Danielle. Totally. That was, and I will say that was pre-COVID. Um, I will say, of course, yes, I've been with my parents in Westchester, which has been a great release from the city. I have been in New York City for probably since the summer, most of it since the summer. And it's been quite, it's, you know, honestly, it's been a great experience. I think a lot of people that live outside New York wonder what New York is really like and I will say that it is thriving. It is a city that is my home and I'm really happy that I'm here. Adding, Carrie, just to to add on to yours, I'm so happy that I became recent social media friends with Carrie Miller because I get to see all her stories and her pictures. So if I'm in the city looking outside my apartment, at least I see some sites from Park City, Utah. Um, But I will say this year and following up, we talked about this a couple of months ago when I was on the podcast, but it's been a year of rapid transformation. I acknowledge how hard the pandemic has been for so many people across the world. And for me, it was, I did have moments of challenge with that moment of incredible reinvention. Like to think Mm -hmm. that I would pick up an old journal that I had started a few years ago and almost completely finish it by now is something that I never is never lost on me. And so I will say there's been a lot that I've learned a lot that I've done to change. And the one thing is, um, where in the world is Danielle, where in the city is Danielle, I found that moment to really ground myself. And I mm-hmm. feel that as I've gone into 2021, it's been um, an experience that has really changed who I am and how I look at life and relationships. And so we'll start with that. And we'll see yeah. where it takes me. Sounds great. Yeah, it's a good segue. um, Because what I was thinking about is part of this conversation is, you know, how how do we think or how have we observed sort of change in the leaders around us as a result of the pandemic? And and in what way, 
you know, why have they changed? And in what ways has that change sort of, you know, had the ripple effect on the people around them in multiple ways? And then also in the sort of climate of the, the group, the community, the organization, whatever the entity is. So I thought, um, I'll be honest with the audience, as I, I told Carrie and Danielle, I'm, I'm feeling like we're going by the seat of our pants on this one, which is, it just feels like it's pandemic podcast and that's where we're at right now. <laughs> so we'll try to keep it on some sort of trajectory, but I don't know, I would just strap in for this one and see where we go. Um, I think the first question that I would love um, Danielle and Carrie to sort of weigh in on is, um, you know, can you think about currently, like maybe within the last 10 months, so during the pandemic, can you think about an individual or a group, you know, who demonstrated leadership during this pandemic that you would say, yes, that's, that's sort of cultivating that belonging, or was there something about that leadership approach or that one thing they did, you know, that action um, that, that you just saw as powerful, or I don't know, I'll, I'll leave it at that and let you guys jump in. So Danielle, you want to start? I us think off? I'll start. Yeah. yeah. So there have been a lot of leaders in education, including in my own context, who I thought really stepped up and did an incredible job in leading, especially in such a time of uncertainty. And when you look over the past 10 months, it wasn't just crisis mode because of the pandemic. It was how do we as leaders address all of these systemic issues that have been happening for centuries, right? And mm -hmm. um, that have been just exposed in so many different ways and so rapidly. And, you know, I obviously could turn right to education. However, I want to start, I think, with the fitness industry. Mm. Carrie, you said that we were kindred spirits because our love of research to practice. But I will say that we are all three of us are kindred spirits because of our love for movement mm. and just how much it really does add to our lives. Obviously, there's a lot of different research to show the benefits of movement on, you know, our physical capacity, our social emotional well-being, etc. Um, but I will say when looking at the fitness industry, when COVID pandemic hit and throughout the past 10 months, there were leaders in small businesses all the way up to organizations such as Peloton, for example, that really address some of these fundamental issues to build an inclusive environment. So some of the things that really, and characteristics and actions that really resonate with me first was that authenticity. And mm -hmm. one of my friends, one of my really good friends is in the fitness industry. And we were talking about, you know, what makes a, a leader in the fitness industry really ensure that they're modeling obviously appropriate leadership, effective leadership, and really supporting the people that follow them. And authenticity always comes first. Mm -hmm. And whether it's just, you know, vulnerability, we talked about courage. I know Brene Brown integrates a lot with authenticity, with courage and vulnerability. And I think that is really at the core, what um, we see some of these effective leaders really modeling over the past 10 months. Mm -hmm. Transparency is one that I think has been something also that leads to effective leadership. I mean, drawing back to the, the research from Tonkin 2013 on authentic leadership, transparency is a pillar of effective leadership. So whether it's just transparency of where the, the organization is, for example, on promoting inclusivity and belonging and addressing DEI issues, I think that people tend to really appreciate the transparency coming from that leadership. And 
think one of the other third ones, and I'll, I can go on and I'll let Carrie add to this, but <laughs> really <laughs> um, these leaders that have been effective have been able to look at these problems and be innovative in the way that um, not just in necessarily entrepreneurial, but in a way of how they're going to create these new and innovative solutions to not only impact a certain group of people, but the group at large. So again, back to Peloton in the ways that they addressed um, issues related to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the classes that I took um, during that time really were ones that were so impactful, not only, not because I was in a fitness class, but because I was in a community led by a leader that was being innovative and really speaking their truth. So <laughs> authenticity, transparency, innovative, just to conclude in terms of um, how they're providing for the organization as a whole. I'll end with that. So much to unpack. I know. My <laughs> mind is still going. I'm furiously, but I'm stopping. Ta I'm furiously <laughs> taking this. We'll, we'll be, you'll be able to come back to it, Daniel. Okay. Let's, get, let's get Carrie in there. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to echo some of what Danielle just shared, but I wanted to also share a quote that I captured early on in the pandemic that Carrie, what you had originally said to frame this whole uh, this whole podcast before asking the specific question, I, and I had to share it right now. And I think what Danielle just shared really amplifies it too. The, the statement is, "If we get this right, we'll never go back to normal," mm. and it's from the NDM Collective. And when I think about high quality leadership during this time, I'm really excited to tell you that it's really hard to narrow down to one leader. So one of the hats that I wear at a direction, which is the business unit at Cicero Group that focuses on K-12 education um, is a leadership coach. And so I talk to leaders in coaching conversations and thought partnership in the Southwestern part of the state and Northern Plains um, of, of the country. I said state meant country um, and also the, the Eastern seaboard. And, and I'm seeing consistently uh, in addition to what Danielle shared a perseverance like we're not, we're not going, we already have enough stacked up against us because more often than not, I'm serving schools that serve on schools that are identified underperforming. And so we already have enough stacked up against us and our students that we serve already have enough stacked up against them. We're not going to let or permit this to be one other reason why they don't have the opportunities that they deserve to be as successful that they want to be as people in, in college and career experiences beyond their K-12 experience. Um, I, I will say, I, I do have to winnow down to one as an example. Yeah. It happens to be the leader that I'm working with in my doctoral studies. And um, she serves a smaller school in the Southwestern region of the United States. 99% um, of the student population identifies Navajo, Native American. The 1% that doesn't happens to be her child who she has there. Wow. And, um, and, and she, I, I, every time we would get on the call, because as I think everybody who's listening knows that everything can change in a minute, if not a second, if not a week, if not a month during the pandemic. And so our cadence of checking in was every other week. And every other week it was like, okay, I'm bracing myself, what's <laughs> happened next? To like, what other barrier have you now had in the work that you are trying to do that you were trying to do so well that's chalked up against you? And it's, you know, we have the, the, the tribal leadership but together with state leadership has decided that school needs to close. You know, that's layer one. Layer two then is, 
well, the only way some of our students receive food every week is through our school. So mm -hmm. now the CDC is saying that it might not be safe for us to be delivering food to our students. And then we add this layer of, well, we want learning to continue and the, the packets that we used and passed out, those might not be safe. We can't, might not be able to physically share packets anymore. And they certainly don't have internet, you know? So it's, I mean, it's one thing after another, after another. And I would brace myself for these calls thinking like, oh my goodness, what's next? And yet invariably every single time we talked and talk now, we're not gonna let any of this be an excuse. We are going to work with what we've got and we are going to continue to do our best work in service of the students that we serve. And that it's inspirational. It's not just perseverance. It's, it's just, it's, it's not letting us get in the way of what we need to do in the service of the students that we serve. Yeah. Was that with the leader that you're um, thinking about, Carrie, was that, was that leader, was that person acting that way prior to the pandemic? I mean, is this yeah, she's she's pretty special. She was already and there. So yeah. I, I think I think she was. Um, however, when you and I think one of the things that Danielle and I were talking about in preparation for this podcast is what information do we want to share? Because there's so much to discuss when it comes to leadership in a pandemic. Yeah. And one of the trickiest things about leaders in the pandemic is that ostensibly leaders tend to already be doing everything that they already could possibly do and then some, mm -hmm. right? These, these are, these tend to be a group of individuals who are ambitious, who are go-getters, who, who share certain qualities mm -hmm. that already fill up their plates. And so when you add a pandemic to the mix, and we now know from it's Danielle's the surge capacity literature, right? Like our, our short-term working memory is literally it's literally filled with living the pandemic. So we literally physically have less space in our brain to do everything that we need to do. Mm -hmm. I just thought that even though she was already one of those people that she might hit her wall, like, and it might be okay, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's so much, it's a lot to go through, but, but she did it. And, and again, she's not the only one, the, the um, leaders that I talked to that perseverance to complement the authenticity and transparency that Dee, I think is really complimentary to what you spoke to as well is, is just, it's admirable. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, so in, in sort of my world, I, I live in a sort of very hierarchical organization when it comes to leaders. And I think when I think about the leaders in my sort of workspace and work environment, there are leaders that, like you said, Carrie, we're already acting in an inclusive, supportive community sort of way. And then there are the leaders who noticeably shifted like at the, at the onset of the pandemic. And as the, as we realized this pandemic was here to stay, right. As it moved from summer into fall, there were some leaders that, you know, to my great surprise shifted. And so I know we, we keep talking about Peloton and I'm telling you, there's a lot to unpack when you do a Peloton session. I think there's so much relevant, less, so many lessons, but what one of the trainers says in the Peloton when, when you're riding you know, you're in one of those intervals and when you think you're at your max and she looks in that screen and she says, turn that resistance a couple of more notches because I know you have it in you and you do. You're scared to death because I'm always afraid I'm going to run out of energy. It's like the most ridiculous thing, but I get scared that I'm going to like conk out right there <laughs> and I turn that knob and I survive. Right. And I thrive. And so I guess what I'm trying to figure out is how do we bottle in a good way the force, the pressure, the stress of the pandemic to get people to push beyond 
what they typically do, right? To grow, because that's when you grow. That's when you grow and you get stronger when you stress yourself in that way. Now I understand, I should be clear to my audience. I, I understand that a pandemic stressor is a bad stress. I completely get that. But I'm the metaphor, I think, hopefully makes sense that like, how do we, because what I'm really interested in when this, you know, going back to your quote, Carrie, about if we get this right, we have, we'll never go back to normal, right? Like, I don't want people to have short memories of how well they acted in the pandemic. I want this to be long lasting. And I'm trying to figure out like, I don't know, do you guys have thoughts? Like, how do we bottle that and cultivate that in our leaders? Like, so that after the pandemic, they don't go back to their sort of old ways. Well, I think um, you made a really good point in the Peloton example. I think there's something to be said about community. And obviously the pandemic, like you said, it's a bad stressor. It's something that's completely out of our control. And no matter which way we turn, when we wake up the next day, it's not going to be over until truthfully, it just, when it decides it's over, this yeah. is a beast that we're all, hand, you know, facing mm-hmm. together. And I will say that moment of together and I'm brought back to over the course of the last 10 months after reading Glennon Doyle's book, the number of people I saw on social media or in my emails or just even around in, um, in schools that had the quote, we can do hard things together. Mm-hmm. And your, your example from the Peloton, uh, your Peloton class is, you know, as much as you feel like you're at your surge, that aspect of, of turning your wheel a little more with your instructor and with the thousands of people on the leaderboard example, um, that may be that secret sauce into mm. really getting people to just operate a little further, go a little further, knowing that you have the community accountability. And I know Brene Brown also talks about how we're all inextricably connected yes. and that inextricable connection, even also too, we're all inextric- inextricably connected and belong. And we all belong. I should say that again. Can we, I'm just going to retry that again. Go ahead. Okay. Um, that we all <laughs> are inextricably connected and all belong in a universe that's higher than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where we go with that. Obviously it's, you can't bottle something like that up, but you know, it's one really important element that can ground us together. Yeah. Well, I think it, and I think it reminds, I mean, I I love that idea of being inextricably connected because I definitely believe that. Um, I think what you made me think of, Danielle, is another element of leadership that perhaps is often overlooked but really powerful is this notion of gratitude, yeah. right? And so I think maybe we can't bottle this and sort of you know, keep our leaders in that sort of state to have them be this way. But what we can do is we can sort of let down our own guard and tell that person that you normally wouldn't tell how grateful you are, right? That maybe it would be weird because like for me, it's a really, it's a hierarchical sort of structure, but I have, I've tried with this particular person. I have sent emails saying, you know, what you did the other day in that meeting, it was a great, it was amazing. You know, we need more of that. It's like, I'm so impressed that you did that. And I, and I think we just have to remember that these leaders that we sometimes are nervous around, or we put on a pedestal, they're also human beings, right? When it comes down to it, they're vulnerable and nervous and scared and worried about the pandemic too. And so I think another trait of leadership is being able to, to sort of not center yourself and being grateful for, for the others that are around you doing good work. So I don't know. Yeah. I, 
I'd say yes and to both of those insights. There's something really powerful about the way that the pandemic has forced us to prioritize what's essential. Mm. And we know from the literature that we should have been doing this all along, yes. right? It was brick, brick and, and team. Um, uh, also, uh, Gawande's The Checklist Manifesto. Oh, right? I love you that book. Really, really complicated work, which of course leadership is. And if you can boil it down to a couple of essential things, mm-hmm. this is what pilots do. This is what surgeons do, right? This is yeah. this is what effective leaders should do as well. And of course, at its simplest form in educational leadership, what are we doing? We're making decisions that are in service of improving student learning. And that's all it should be about. But of course, there are 10,000 billion different interpretations of what that should be. Um, but in addition to that notion of perseverance, as I've talked to leaders that are in the K-12 space right now, I've also heard this, I've heard a, a constant, which is, you know, we're doing less and we're doing better. And 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 that that's something that, again, when you are ambitious and um, very self-motivated and you want to constantly do your best, which for me historically has always included as a leader, if someone is falling down on my team, I'm going to help them get up. And then I'm also going to ease their burden, which means I'm taking on more. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I, and, and, and D, I hope you'll chime in on values here too, because mm. you've got such smart insights about how we prioritize and, and create with a value set what those priorities should be. Um, we, we can hone in on what's essential. I was actually talking to the that aforementioned leader that I was referencing before, that's a great example of high quality. She recently read an article in the New York Times written by Jal Mehta. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out right at the end of the of 2020. And he's talking about some of the things that we've learned and that we know that we should embrace and embody as we leave a pandemic, as we come into, you mentioned the glimmer of hope, Carrie, right? As we come out of this into some new normal. And he speaks to continuing to be human-centered, continuing to think hard about the forced adaptations that we've made in our organizations that actually are leading our organization to do better, um, to, again, prioritize. And then also, there, it's a probably a more touchy, uh, charged topic, but he brings up also this idea of not setting the needs of students against the needs of adults. And, and I know that historically pre-pandemic as a leader, I've always been able to shelf my runs, you know, as a mom and as a leader, it's like, okay, well, I had X, Y, and Z planned today. I also wanted to get a run in, but this person really needs this thing. So I'm going to shelf Hmm. what's right for me. And we, we can't do that. And I hope that in saying that, that doesn't sound selfish or self-serving, but, but that has been and I'm so happy to hear that there's research to support it, but that's been one of the key pieces. Like if, if you aren't taking care of yourself, even it's for, for a minute to get out and go on a walk or do that thing that you need to do. Danielle's talked about meditation um, in the middle of the day, right? If we're not doing those things for ourselves, we're not being our best for anyone. I will add to that, Carrie. I think you just, all of a sudden, I almost hurled at the computer because I was so excited to follow up on that. <laughs> but um, you bring up a really important concept of self and Carrie, Borkowski and Carrie Miller, you talked about, um, actually, I'll go back to Carrie B. You said the aspect of gratitude. Mm. I think when you go look back in self, there's this incredible power of self-compassion and self-awareness. Um, in a recent podcast that Brene Brown had said, I think it was her Dare to Lead podcast. And I wrote it down in um, the board next to me. She said, self-awareness and self-love matter. Mm. And 
these are really important concepts and really returning back to ourselves and giving ourselves care, giving ourselves self-care is not selfish. And when Carrie Miller and I were talking about the importance of self-care and giving ourselves grace, it really does boil down to those small habits and shifts, whether it's shifts in mindset, shifts in habit that can have those atomic results, right? Mm -hmm. um, so even the aspect of meditation, I started meditating upwards of three times a day, mm -hmm. once in the morning, once at lunch, once either before dinner or before I go to bed. And okay, it's 30 minutes out of my day. It could have been the effects were hours, the positive effects were hours upon hours. I was sleeping better. Mm -hmm. I noticed that I wasn't as dragged down during the, after the post-lunch, you know, afternoon, I was more present in meetings and I'm not the only one. I know there are researchers that I speak to that will meditate for upwards of four hours a day. If you look at, you know, I listen to a lot of Tim Ferriss podcasts mm -hmm. and I consume a lot of stories from just top leaders from businesses. And what's the constant thing that they all have in common? They all take that moment to be inward with their thoughts. And Glennon Doyle talks about the knowing. I, mm. I could talk about this for hours, but I really do think it's so powerful when we take that time to just be by ourselves and be in our thoughts and recognize instead of numbing, right? It's oh. not lost that out, that drinking habits have increased a lot during pandemic because of that numbing. Well, let's think about how do we self-centered and get back into ourselves in, you know, into that knowing, into that really, that nesting yeah. um, that's really going to have those profound effects. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's spot on, Danielle. I think it's funny because the, the, um, Dr. Nagowski sisters, Emily and Amelia, they talk about the monitor, which is similar, right? So these different authors have these different terms for this. Essentially what we're talking about is metacognition here, right? Like your critical reflection. And I think it's interesting if you think back to the traits, Danielle, particularly that you sort of identified with respect to things like authenticity and transparency, those things can't um, legitimately happen unless you're doing some of that metacognitive work, right? Like you can't be authentic unless you're checking in with yourself, um, and sort of getting the pulse of how you're feeling before you sort of engage with your, with your group. I think the, I love this idea um, of, of vulnerability and because Sonia Renee Taylor in her book, um, The Body is Not an Apology, one of her sort of tenets that she talks about a lot in addition to self-love is embracing not knowing, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to admit that you don't know. And I think lots of research um, bears this out, right? Like beginner's mindset is another one. Having a learning identity is another one. And if you can start from that idea of not knowing, which is partly why I think the leader I have in my brain, he, he was able to sort of do some of the things he could because like, let's face it, none of us, I mean, you know, the, the most expert, you know, public health schools in the world none of us really knew what to do at first with this pandemic. And so there was no way any leader could fake that they knew exactly what was going to happen. So it's almost like the pandemic put people up against the wall and said, you have to admit that you don't know. Right. And so by being able to admit that you don't know, because I mean, I remember teaching last spring and thinking, I don't know what this is going to look like. The only thing I know is I need to break this down for my students. 
I need to figure out what are, what are the essential elements of this class. And oh yeah, I also need to, with the same intentionality, take care of them, check in with them and cultivate that belonging. And so I think being able to admit that you don't know can help to contribute to figuring out what is essential, right? You're like, okay, and Danielle, this goes back to, um, and I know Carrie Miller, you're a big fan of Brene Brown. I remember in her Dare to Lead book, one of the most powerful exercises that she asks the reader to do is to look at her list of values that her team put together. So she even gives you the words, like you don't even have to think, think of the words. She's like, just go to the list and appendix, whatever, and look at these words and pick one or two, like most organizations have, and I'm sure Carrie, I'd be curious to know what your organization and Danielle, like a lot of organizations list, you know, the eight values. And what she argues is that some of that stuff gets watered down and it gets lost. And she, she says to pick those one or two values. And essentially I feel like last spring when the pandemic hit, that's exactly what I returned to. Like, what do I value? And that's how I'm going to act as I move through this thing with my students. This is what I, I care about their well-being, and I care about helping them finish this course successfully. Like those were the two things and I focused on that, but I don't know. I think both of us are so happy that you mentioned values, Carrie. I know Carrie Miller, <laughs> you brought it up. I just wanna, before we get into values, um, Carrie Miller and I were speaking on Sunday and she said, there's no playbook about what you may encounter in an organization especially during a time of high challenge and uncertainty and that we're just forced to try new things because there is no playbook. But what I think Carrie B make up a really good point is that there's no playbook yet. We have values that we know we need to fall back on. Mm. And that comes from an individual level. So a self level. Um, I always fall back, for example, for me on learning and community and Sorry, Brene Brown, if you ever listen to this, I do have a third. It is courage because it's something that I've worked so hard to cultivate since for years, right? So I will say three, but then as an organization, right, there are those core values of how you do operate. I know at Winward, we actually did that, um, that exercise last year where everyone uh, participated in in offering the values they thought were important to Winward, and we did uh, narrow it down to four. Um, I'm missing all four, but two of them were commitment and impact, which I think were, and growth was the third one, fourth one's missing, I'm escaping me, but they were ones that resonated with the entire community and they were very narrow and they were so back to transparency, transparent and how we interacted amongst faculty as mm -hmm. leaders interacted, how we interacted with students and families. So I do think they're important and I do think they're more important now more than ever during a moment of crisis, whether it's a pandemic or um, just everything else that's going on in the world right now. So Carrie Miller, you can continue on your values. I'm excited to hear more about your organization and how you see this. Uh, after a couple of years of having a handful of values, it was just last year, I think. No, wait, what year is it? It was in 2019. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Barely 2021. Barely <laughs> Yeah, it was in 2019 that the that was actually winnowed down to just two and it's people and impact. That's it. And that crosses that's a cross section for all of the business units of our company, including the K-12 space that I work in. And it's interesting because as as we were talking about this podcast before the podcast, Danielle and I talked about whether an organization can subsist and exist without growth as a consideration and, and mm -hmm. carry 
you mentioned this idea of having a learning identity. And it's interesting because that Danielle's question really got me thinking. I was like, well, ours, our, our, our ideology, it really links to people and impact. And that's at the core of everything we do. And yet it's, it's like growth is at the core of those two tenants. You know, the, the, the aim of, of any project that I, that I work with, with the K-12 space has to do with that. It has to do with development because if in the K-12 world, if, if the people, if the teachers and the leaders aren't developing, then practices aren't changing. And then students aren't getting the additional opportunities that they, they might not otherwise have had, right? And so it, it truly is at the core. And when I think about cultivating belonging, you know, there's so much to be said about context and about fitting the tenets of your value set into a specific context, into where you work. But when I go back to that initial point, Carrie, that you said about cultivating belonging and how we do it, if we don't have permission to learn and to grow, mm. we're probably not going to get very far. And perhaps part of this positive outcome of the pandemic is, is this forced learning, right? Whether mm -hmm. or not you even want it. And it goes back to that point, Carrie, that you asked about that you've been pleasantly surprised if it's okay for me to put words in your mouth, but you've been yeah. pleasantly surprised by the people who maybe you didn't expect to grow and change who have. And so that, that idea of learning then is a place and space where belonging can occur and can be cultivated regardless of the context that you're in. Yeah, I think, yes, I, I agree completely. I think um, this idea of a learning identity or beginner's mindset, I think it's it's a chicken and egg sometimes, right? Because we need our leaders <laughs> to model that kind of sort of um, attribute. And yet they're incredibly worried about being learners because often, regardless of organization, often, and this is particularly in, in academics, I can't speak to, to other sectors, but in academics, at least you often enter academics because, and especially at a high leadership position, because you're deemed an expert in something, right? So your identity, <laughs> most of your identity is hinging on that expertise. And if you come to your faculty, which, hey, I can tell you our faculty, me as faculty, we can be obnoxious. Um, and if you come to your faculty as a learner, I mean, there's a lot of head scratching that's gonna happen. So sometimes it is a chicken and egg and it takes a lot of courage. Um, Danielle, as you mentioned earlier, as a value um, to really do that. And I love the idea, um, Carrie Miller, that, that Danielle quoted with this idea of, of no playbook and this notion that um, perhaps we don't have a playbook, but we definitely have our values to fall back on. And I started thinking, I heard someone talk, and I can't remember who it was, um, talking about strategic moves versus tactical moves. And so often what I'm thinking about is the strategic moves, we actually do have those, even if like the, the strategy is more long-term, at least the way this person was talking about it. So if you fall back on your values, your strategy is informed by your values. So you sort of have those already. What you don't have are those day-to-day -day tactical moves, right? And so you really have to sort of, now I'm facing this context, which happens to be a pandemic. How do I align? How do I remember my values and my strategy? And now how do I align, right? That strategy with these new tactics that I need to face this new context. Um, and since Danielle was sharing, I'll share that when I read the Dare to Lead book, my two values, and I'm still holding tightly to them, are authenticity and curiosity. Um, so I, I try really hard to always fall back on those and live them when I'm in a state of chaos. <laughs> so not surprised. 
No. It's always great when someone does the values uh, inventory and you can guess exactly mm -hmm. what their values are. Yeah. You are so transparent, Carrie, that <laughs> I would have picked them as well. So oh, wow. love wow. that. <laughs> I guess that's good. It's nice when what I'm trying to do is perceived by the outside world as being what I'm trying to do. So that that's a positive. Well, so. I think you do a really great job in operationalizing them, right? It's one thing to say courage or for you, authenticity and curiosity are my values. But if you're not operationalizing it, yeah, then then that's a problem. And yeah, for me, for when sure. going back to courage, I added courage this year only because yes, it was something I wanted to value. And I, and I truly believed that I value it, but I wasn't operationalizing mm -hmm. it. And it wasn't until this year where I truly felt, and I even receiving feedback from my friends who are like my brain trust and, you know, my, my team, they'll always say, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Courage. This is the first year where I really see courage being mm -hmm. embodied by UD. And I'm like, Yes, finally. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost Ray. it's almost if we could geek out for a second, it's almost bi-directional, right? It's like you had it in the back of your mind that it was a value, but it wasn't playing out. So once it started to play out, you you sort of owned it, right? It, it sort of worked its way back into your life, which is really cool. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to circle back on, and then maybe we'll um, we'll wrap up here shortly. And I know we're gonna have to have another episode, a part two, which is totally fine. There's so many things we could talk about. I actually think I was talking to Danielle and Carrie before the podcast that I think um, what would be really fun is to identify a handful of books and then think about if if we were giving these books to a group of leaders or budding leaders, like how might they use these books to inform their leadership style in in one that's cultivating belonging and community and, and inclusivity that we've talked about. But I wanted to circle back because we haven't, and maybe this is what the next episode will be. We haven't talked a ton about self-care, um, which is funny because I thought we, that I actually thought that's where we were going to spend most of our time, but it's, it's been great. And the reason I want to bring it back up is because um, I love Carrie that you're owning that, you know, you are not going to take, you're not going to put your running on the shelf that you deserve and really require that rest. And, um, I do a lot of work with first year doctoral students. I bring them into the program. We call it sort of onboarding, you know, the summer before and through the fall. And one thing that I've noticed as I've sort of worked out the sort of work that I'm doing with them in this framework that I'm building is there's a component in there that I'm calling recovery that I'm calling rest. And I, it, it happens every single end of the fall. I have a sync session with them and I'm telling these type A, high achieving, super smart students like the two that are on this podcast with me. And they're saying, well, I need the list of the books for the spring because I want to get ahead. And the only thing I'm saying to them, didn't I say, didn't I say that? <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. And the only thing I say to those students in these sync sessions and in the numerous emails that they're not convinced that I'm really being truthful is don't do anything related to your doctoral studies. Read a book, walk your dog, do your yoga, whatever you weren't doing while you were knee deep in your studies, do that now because they don't realize that like, and if you, again, Danielle, we're going back to Peloton. <laughs> what we don't realize is that the recovery and rest component is as important as that interval training, as studying intensely for comps or nailing that, you know, that homework assignment or that proposal that's due at work. That is just as important. And if you don't treat rest like a part of your training, 
you're short, you're short selling yourself and you're going to end up at that. When you come for that next interval, whatever that next project is, you're not going to do as well because you didn't spend time on that rest component. So I just, I don't know. I wanted to hear what you guys thought about that. It was the hardest lesson I had to learn during COVID. And Mm. in the previous episode, we talked about, you titled it slowing down to speed up or speeding up to slow down. Um, And one of the things that I learned is it's, it starts with the narrative that you tell yourself, the story you tell yourself, you can tell yourself and Carrie Miller, you spoke about this. Oh, I don't have time for this 20 minute. Well, for me, it'd be 20 minutes for the two of you. It'd be like two hours, but I don't have time for this 20 minute run, or, you know, (laughs) I don't have the time in my day to meditate another time after lunch. And it really is all about those small habits and those small changes. It's, how you prioritize a walk after during the workday. You could say, oh, I'm going to do a working lunch because I need to get this all done. Or when we were studying for comps, we need to just power through three or four hours on a Saturday when it's really not sustainable and you won't sustain yourself. And um, actually I read a book by Stolberg and Magnus. I'm forgetting the name of the book, but they were focused on Um, athletes and just high performers. And one of the authors really did crash because they didn't prioritize Mm -hmm. the rest. And they're, they're, it's very simple, but they say stress plus rest equals growth. And you know, that as a high performer, as a type A person, as a doctoral student, as a leader, stress is going to be inherent in no matter in whatever you do, but, or I should say, and rest should absolutely be something that's also integrated every day, every week, in every part of your life. So I think, you know, it's something that it needs to be a priority and it doesn't have to be these radical shifts. It really doesn't. No. I've written on my note sheet, which is full of a lot of Carrie Borkowski and Danielle quotes and, and quotes <laughs> right now. I just, I wrote the word permission and mm-hmm. I, and, and, and there's so many layers as I think about self-care and also about leadership where that word comes into play. March of 2020, um, our founder and CEO gave us permission to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, and even, but that it wasn't because of the pandemic that he did that. He had done it before that. I was thinking back to what you were saying, Carrie, about that need for rest and how rest makes us better. And we have a policy where we go on PTO and we are checked out. And I, in my first years at this company, I had a really hard time doing that. And I think at one point, a year, year and a half. And he's like, I carry, if you email me or if you respond to an email, I'm literally going to charge you $10. So you must not, it is a very hyperbolic, right? Yeah, but it was yeah. emphasis of like, you have to check out. Yes. And, and so there is that, there's the permission and leadership of letting your team, and this is not new news, but letting your team experience the pandemic, letting your team experience this long-term, unexpected, very painful process. Um, but then you have to, and I'm amplifying, I think, Danielle, what you already said, you have to let yourself do that as well. And you, and you have to know and name and, and, and give yourself your own permission to do the things that, you know, make yourself your personal best. And it sounds so simple, but I can't tell you how hard that is for me. It, it is so hard to do that. And when I think about one of the things that I hope as life turns into whatever our new normal is you know, we will have to keep each other honest, right? Because I I can't lose sight of that because even though this has been very hard, I know that that prioritization, that permission for yourself as well as for others is is making everything better. And it's making everything maybe more 
survivable in the more extreme sense of it, but but certainly big picture in leadership, it's a key a, a key core component. And to add to that, permission is both an act and a mindset. You can give yourself permission to act to do all those take all those habits or take all those steps to do your self care. So whether that's running or yoga or meditation or cooking a nourishing meal or being outside of nature, because we know all those types of activities are research. They're based in research of promoting that well-being. And it's a mindset. You can, you know, it's one thing to take that time to walk, but if you're telling yourself, I need to get back to my desk, then that's not a mode of self-care or even just telling yourself you're enough at the end of the day. Yeah. Ending the day. And Brene Brown says this all the time. When no matter what is done and left undone is enough. I am enough. Whatever I did was enough. That's it. And, you know, I think that mindset and actions really do speak volumes in terms of self-care. Absolutely. And if I could quote a Peloton instructor, (laughs) (laughs) we should just get them on here. (laughs) If you weren't, if you weren't enough before you completed that race, you're not going to be enough after you complete that race, that it's not about achievement, that it can't be about achievement, that that's not gonna. And when, when the Peloton instructor said that, and I'm going to be vulnerable for a minute, it resonated with me because for so many years and gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to admit something that I haven't admitted in a long time. I think I was chasing degrees because I was looking for value. And then I realized at some point, like it's already in you. It's not the degree it's already in you. And so we have to stop chasing things, thinking that a new haircut or a new clothing or whatever your thing is, like, that's not going to make you enough if you're not enough before you have that thing. So, um, Ooh, this has been awesome. So I, I <laughs> less <laughs> like scripting moving forward. Right? I know, right? Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. Well, I, I like a less scripted. Sometimes my, um, I do it with um, Brianne Roos um, and a couple other people, and they like to script it. And Brianne knows that, so I have no problem saying that. So I like being unscripted. I kind of like seeing what comes up. So, um, so I want to close with just a thought and hopefully it'll be our springboard for the next episode on this. Cause we still have a lot to say, I think on this leadership. So we've brought up this notion of giving yourself permission, the stories we tell ourselves and the, the women, the Dr. Nagowski sisters for, so I don't have to keep saying all their names on the back of their book. They talk about, um, what we do and what is expected we exhaust ourselves trying to close that gap. What we do and what we're expected to do, that gap creates a gap and we exhaust ourselves trying to close that gap, those expectations. And so it made me think that, you know, leaders can tell other folks, communities, and even if it's as Abby Wambach reminds us, leaders can be on the bench, right? Like they don't have to be the leaders who are sort of with the title leader, this can be anybody. So whoever this leader is, is telling us self-care is important, that we need a learning identity, that we need to embrace failure and inclusivity. That stuff is so hard to do, right? Like so hard to do. I mean, there is so much anxiety and stress wrapped up in all of that for thousands of thousands of reasons. And so I think something that we could sort of think about is part of the responsibility in my view of a leader in cultivating belonging is to create a space to help mitigate 
that anxiety to hear the stories of the community members, like the story I just told about feeling like I was chasing degrees. I mean, you know, there's a lot in that. And I'm sure you each have a story of like times in your sort of accomplished lives that, that give you angst. But until we know those stories, until we start to unpack the emotional side of all these gifts that we have, I don't think we can cultivate a sense of belonging. I think it's, it's a lot harder than we, than we think. Um, and it's not just about, um, you know, being successful in a doctoral program or getting that, that um, promotion at work. Like that's sort of the cognitive side for me. What I feel like we want to be talking about in, in our leaders is how do we cultivate the emotional side and care for the person as a person, not just for the contribution they could make to the bottom line or to the, you know, the academic setting that they're in or whatever setting it is. So um, I'm going to give you ladies the last word. Any final thoughts before we close? Wow. Um, <laughs> I have so many thoughts. And that's a great thing because we can continue this conversation Absolutely. and note for the people that are listening, we probably will continue this until, I don't know, 9 PM <laughs> our time. I'm just kidding. Um, I love the way that you ended that. Um, I love the idea of space and room and um, a quote that I always draw back, back to it um, is seeing the humanness of, of others. And we've talked about that and for leaders and for just people operating every day I was texting a friend today, just flow as you are. I tell mm -hmm. myself every day, flow as I am. And to me, that is inherent in creating the space for myself, creating the space for others. So I'll just leave everyone with flow as I am. I love it. Carrie, any last parting words for the audience? I'm going back to Meta, uh, the, the article that I referenced earlier. He yep. talks about Marie Kondoing your life. So <laughs> we think of Marie Kondo as a a methodology to use in our closet to declutter. Mm. But I think that there's something really profound in this idea of, of utilizing that strategy to winnow down to our values. Mm. And if we can do that, and if we can know that, again, going back to what you had brought up earlier about this unexpected mindset shift for people that you maybe didn't expect to see it in. Mm. If, if we can create space and again, permission for the winnowing to those values. And then from there, ensure each action that we take goes back to them. I think we'll all feel really, really good and also find great success. However, we define it from that mm -hmm. deliberate practice. Love it. Love it. Love it. So I'm going to end it there and let our audience know that there will definitely be more of this to come soon. So stay tuned for part two and who knows what will come after that. Um, this has been another episode of Tell Me This. I am Carrie Borkowski and it has been a pleasure to talk to Carrie and Danielle. And in the meantime, what is it? Flow as you are, Danielle. Is that what you say? Flow as you are and keep wearing that mask as you're flowing as you are. Please keep us all safe um, and stay healthy. All right. Take care, everyone. And thanks for listening. Do you want to simplify your school's technology? 
save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.